This is Gigs Unleashed, episode 40. I always love how I learn something new and British when whenever we record an episode. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Gigs Unleashed, episode 40. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are Coming to America 2, and which is on Amazon Prime, and the second movie of Legendary's Monsterverse, Kong Skull Island from 2017. And spoiler warning, this is a review show, so if you have not had a chance to watch Coming to America, the sequel, or... Kong Skull Island. We suggest you pause this and come back later. Um, and then at the very end of the episode, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. I think I said this when we got to 25 episodes, but 40 episodes now. It's crazy. Can't Man, believe. isn't that wild? Yeah, I just can't believe 40 episodes in. We've been doing we've been doing this for almost a full year. Actually, this week is the quote unquote coronaversary for a lot of people. This was oh, this was yeah, the week know, in yeah. 2020 when a lot of us went into lockdown for the first time. I know, I know. We were told to work from home a week before it happened because I think my company could see this is where it was going. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was a week behind, so my coronaversary is next week. Yeah, I started working from home. I think it was like last, yeah, the start of this week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a full year now working from home. Yeah, it's not insane. People. Um, <laughs> although we have seen people here and there when we're allowed, but at the moment we're not allowed. Uh, although it's meant to be loosening up, loosening up soon. But anyway, we'll jump into this week's news of the week and firstly start with some sad news that Cliff Simon, who played um, the villainous Bal uh, in Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Continuum, has died at the age of 58, which is obviously very sad. I was a huge Stargate fan, or still am. Um, keep, always keep rooting for that show to return. And um, Did you ever watch Stargate, by the way? No, I love the movie, oh. but I never watch the show. Oh, I love Stargate. It's, uh, unfortunately, SG-1 is really dated now. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's really quite a bad show now. Like, I mean, the first... Uh, it got the really weird thing is it, well not it's not weird but it got better as it went on um mm-hmm. and the last few seasons it was definitely improve, improving and becoming far less cheesy um and then when they launched the spin-off atlantis i loved atlantis it was far it was less cheesier than sg1 uh, but my favorite of them all which was Stargate universe which got cancelled after two seasons and ended mm-hmm. on, a, on a huge annoying cliffhanger and they've never never picked it back up uh they tried to make stargate like Battlestar galactica which was on at the same time and doing really well on the sci-fi channel mm-hmm. so um cliff's um wife put a statement on facebook uh colette simon that is so she posted on facebook uh it is with unimaginable heartbreak that I'm sharing with you that my beloved husband, Cliff Simon, passed away at 12.30pm on Tuesday, March 9th, 2000, um, 2021. He was at Panka Beach, California, and sadly passed away after a tragic kite boarding accident. So obviously aye, very, aye. very sad to hear. I assume wind, wind or something must have um, interfered with that. So um, yeah, that's That sucks that it is whenever anything happens and it's like a sudden loss like that's just mm-hmm. awful yeah yeah no, definitely 100 so yeah sad news and um also give our condolences to claire who i'm assuming is just probably a mess right now so yeah uh man and uh in new netflix news they are adapting 
Um, the Budget Tan and Kajo Baldissimo's Philippine graphic novel, Tris, into an original anime series that is going to be headlined by Filipino actor Liza Soberano, who is in My Ex and Wise and Alone Together, and a Filipino-Canadian actress, Shay Mitchell, who you would recognize from You and Pretty Little Liars. Um, Shay is going to be voicing uh, Alexandra in the anime series, uh, and looks like Netflix is doing a an English and a Filipino version of yeah, so this series. Yeah. Right, so Shay's doing the English voice, Alexandra, um, and uh, Soberano is going to be doing the Filipino voice for this series. It is from, looks like, Tanya Yusan and Base Entertainment, which is a studio that is based out of Jakarta, Indonesia, and Singapore. So that's kind of cool that Netflix is dipping into something that is not so mainstream and kind of bringing that to the forefront. So that's awesome. I, I'm quite excited about this. I have to admit that I have watched you both seasons of you. I have um, seen the first season of you. I have not seen the second season. I definitely would recommend watching the second season. It was cool. It was good. It was, a, it was a, you, I feel is very much like a modern take on Dexter. Um, but with less morals. He definitely has less morals than Dexter. Yikes. Um, it, it definitely gets worse in season two. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, but, he, uh, he, he killed a guy in the first season, so uh, oh, yeah, it, it only gets worse a, from there. There's, only a, there's a lot more killing in season two. And, Interesting. Yeah, and there's a... Oh, there's a, oh, it's a you should definitely watch it. There's a really good <laughs> twist. There's a really good twist that happens at the end of the season two. Um, anyway, Shay, I also have to admit I watched all of Pretty Little Liars and um, uh, <laughs> as much as I get grief, I loved it and um, I'm quite excited to see Shay in anime and I would watch this. Yeah, that'll be fun, I think. Uh, more anime news with Resident Evil, uh, Infinite Darkness, which is another Netflix um, original show. Uh, they have dropped some teaser art and images, which look pretty cool. But they've announced that the the voice cast have um, been cast in their roles for Leon and Claire Redfield. Um, so, sorry, Leon S. Kennedy and Claire Redfield. So, Nick uh, Apostol... I don't know how you say that. Apost- Apostolitis? Yeah. He like, seems like that. That's a Greek name. Yeah, yeah. So, he's been cast as Leon. And Stephanie Pansolino uh, has been cast as Claire Redfield. Uh, both actors have done the voice cast from the recent Resident Evil 2 remake, which came out in 2019. So they are very familiar, and I'm sure they'll be looking forward to panning out the role. Uh, I'm actually really excited to watch this anime. So they, I loved the original Resident Evil 2 when I was a kid. Um, I've not played the remake. I'm not sure I would ever play the remake because I'm not. Those games are creepy. Like, I, I have watched all the films, but, like, I cannot play the games. I can't. I just, I can't do horror games. Well, I do want to watch the anime. Yeah, I'll, I will watch anything Resident Evil related, but uh, uh, playing the games, not so much. I think it's kind of cool, though, that they did bring in the, the game voice actors to do the anime. I That's always cool. like it when they keep the voice cast consistent like, between games yeah. and TV series. And, and even if they sometimes do remakes of animated stuff and they still keep the voice cast in and um it's a way to bridge the gap like that's a that's a really cool way to bring in the game audience to the anime so um 
Cameron Johnson, who plays Luke Fox in the Batwoman TV series on CW, is going to write a story in the new um, Batman Urban Legends anthology series, which is a six issue series. I believe it's six issues, whether or not it continues, I don't know, but it's currently six issues. He'll be writing a short story in issue four, which comes out on the 8th of June for his character in Batwoman. He'll be writing it for a character of himself, for Luke Fox. Um, it'll be illustrated by Marks Two and Eva Fiera. And um, I'm assuming he's probably hoping that this would be something that will come back into the TV series. So I'm quite yeah. excited about this. So That's really I'm cool not- to me because uh, Luke on Batwoman is probably my favorite character of the series. Luke and Mary, surprisingly, mm-hmm. um, are my two favorite characters in the Batwoman series. Uh, so I'd be super interested to see his take on, on Luke Fox. I actually was pretty pleased to hear this. It's a good experience for him to write a comic. Yeah. So that could lead to him writing further comics. Yeah. And and as an actor, why not? You know, like he's clearly got this because of being the the actor. Right. Um, but why not give him a chance to expand his um I don't know how much writing experience he has, but um why not give him a chance to expand his own, you know. Uh, skills uh, yeah. in that industry and i think um, that's another cool thing just like with the resident evil thing like that's a really cool way to bring the batwoman audience into the comic at this point you know like people that are fans of the series the tv series would be more inclined to pick up this book because you know it's a, it's the same character essentially um so i think that's a that's a really cool way to do that it worked out well when they pulled harley quinn out of batman the animated series and brought her into the comic so who knows this could this could be a, a really good thing too yeah yeah i i'm i wasn't going to read the anthology books because they're really expensive um but i have last minute decided and i actually did order issue one the other day um so i'm yeah i'm looking looking forward to reading those anthology books especially when you get in little cool moments like this yeah and then our last bit of uh netflix news is the and Netflix is bringing the original animated series of the true story. Well, sort of true. It's based on a true character story of the only recognized like African samurai in Japanese history. Uh, the series is called Yasuke. It stars Lakeith Stanfield is going to be the voice of Yasuke, the black samurai. Um, it is from LaShawn Thomas, who is the same guy that brought us Cannon Busters on Netflix as well. Um, Yasuke is set to premiere on April 29th on Netflix. The first season is going to be six episodes. And for anime fans, it is from MAPPA, which is the same studio that has brought us the final season of Attack on Titan, Jujutsu Kaisen, and probably some of your other favorite anime, including Doro, Banana Fish, and one of my all-time favorites, uh, Kids on the Slope. So I am stoked beyond belief to not only have the story of like a black samurai but the fact that mappa is animating it i'm i'm super super thrilled and i cannot wait to watch this series on netflix i i actually i saw some of the stills they look pretty cool i'm Mm -hmm. looking forward to watching this as well we will we will review this in due course uh, towards (laughs) the end of april it's it's all part of my evil plan to get mark to watch more anime sure I'm I'm not anti anime though. Like, no, you're not. You, like, you're anti everything else. So. This is true. <laughs> yeah. like, slowly, slowly, uh, I will get at you. Like, uh, I read an article this week actually, and I thought of you about it. It was um, 
about WandaVision, mm-hmm. how uh, WandaVision, uh, the, the article was something like along the uh, along the lines of that WandaVision became appointment television in the age of binge watching. Yes. And how, and how we've all been conditioned by Netflix to accept binge watching as the new way of watching television. Yeah. Uh, and when, when, when Netflix first started doing it, I was like, oh, this is cool. Well, I don't have to wait weekly, get all 10 episodes or 12 episodes in one go, yeah. watch them over a weekend. And then I started to get really annoyed about that because I was like, well, all Netflix are doing is just making like a 13-hour movie and just shoving it online. And I'm yeah. like, I was actually getting quite anti-binge watching. I don't mind binge watching if it's on my own time, if it's something I'm doing. Because what, what was annoying me was I was finding like, it was like a race to the finish. Yeah. Uh, and um, so like I would say like 13 Reasons Why. And like, I, I love that show as well. Like, And I remember like, I didn't watch it within a couple of days of it coming out. Instantly, everybody's writing headlines about it. Like, oh, ain't, you know, it's always like headlines, like ending explained and and why did such and such happen and why did so-and-so die? Mm-hmm. And blah, blah. I'm like, I don't want to know any of this stuff. So it's like, yeah. right, okay, so I'm going to have to spend a day now watching the show, which I didn't, which I actually wanted to take my time and watch. So then I like went and watched the last season over like one day or something. And I was like, I don't, didn't want to do this, but I don't, yeah. I don't like getting spoiled. And I, uh, um, so very rare. I hate it when people spoil stuff for me. Like I want to watch it around get spoiled. <laughs> and I so I'm quite anti the binge watching model if it's released at the same time and and especially if it's like a hype show that everyone's going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually this week um, caught up on the current I think it's season eight of Black, the Blacklist. I realised I hadn't watched any of this season, and so I watched the whole of the Blacklist and I'm up to date with like episode nine or ten or whatever's out at the moment Mm -hmm. and um but no one because it's not like a hype show people aren't really talking about it i was like hey i could i watched it a week like you know sort of binge watched it so to speak yeah but because no one's it's not in the press no one's going on about it yeah yeah had no had no pressure around me so i was quite happy to binge watch it but i was binge watching it more i said binge watching it i was watching maybe an episode or two a night um which i don't necessarily consider massively binge watching but it was it was something that i watched around the week and and I was, uh, it was quite nice. It was nice to continue. I, I do quite like watching just focusing on one show. Yeah. But I, I, I'm anti binge watching when I have when I have to watch it because everyone's going to ruin it for me. Like, yeah. Um, so then I, I'm like, well, you, you're changing it from an art form to just a race to the finish. Um, so that's why I liked Wonder Vision that nobody could ruin it for me. Like tune in every week and mm-hmm. it, and it fit in with my time. So. Um, I. I am the complete opposite. I accepted a long time ago being spoiled. I think that just came naturally from my time writing for one of those kinds of websites. Um, that there nothing waited because sometimes we would write about things before they were actually released. So it's kind of like being spoiled is not is it's not an option that I have anymore. So I have accepted that, and because I have accepted that. I don't care as much about being spoiled as I used to. So I'm still a big fan of binge watching because I'm not always in the mood after work and after making dinner and doing all that stuff. It's like, I don't want to sit down or have to be in front of the TV at a certain time to watch a certain thing. Um, So I am all for like, I have a free Saturday. I could literally watch 16 hours of tv on a saturday and and knock out two series doing that you know yeah i i don't mind spoilers to 
to a small extent, like if it's done to tease a little bit of interest. Mm-hmm. But there's certain shows I'm really like anti being spoiled, like The Walking yeah. Dead really peeves me off if people spoil that for me. Like I, you know, it was Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, you know, those kind of shows. See, the last show that I was like, that obsessed about was Black Sails on Stars. So yeah, I definitely I made it a point it. to build my schedule around when Black Sails became available yeah. because I didn't want anybody to spoil it for me. Yeah. So it, it's been five years uh, for me since I've had a show that was so important that I was like, no, I can't have spoilers. I don't think... I think I think there are certain shows that the media grab onto. Like One Division mm-hmm. was definitely one of them. Um, so I think I One like, Division yeah. came at the perfect time, though. I think everybody was kind of starved for content. It was the first piece of Marvel content that we had gotten since 2019. Yeah. So people were definitely ready for that kind of stuff. Like I, One Division was so popular that you and I joked about this last week. You're always trying to get me to keep up with things, and I'm always telling you, like, no, I'm just going to wait until the whole thing is done, and then I'll catch up at one time. But WandaVision is definitely one of those things where it was like, oh, I'm getting pressure from so many people. Like, so I, I caught up on WandaVision when I normally would not have done that. Yeah, I, 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 that was a show that like it was driving me mad every week. But I was <laughs> the kind of hype around it reminded me of Lost when Lost used to be yes. on weekly. And, yeah. I, I, and that was a show which I loved as well. And, and that if people spoiled that for me, that used to driving mental like so um anyway we will move on to our reviews for this week and um nothing has to be binge watched because they're both movies yes this is this uh, was a good week two movies it was nice two movies in one week uh one old one new start with the new um well the new is a sequel so uh coming to the number two america which is a sequel to the 1988 Coming to America with no two in the title. General Izzy, what a totally unexpected surprise. King Akeem, I have come to give you congratulations for locating one of your lost spurs. I too wonder about my own stray bullets. <laughs> Thank you for your kind words. So Coming to America come, came out this year, uh, came out last week. It was originally supposed to be released um, by Paramount Pictures in the theatre, cinema. Um, wherever you live, you may call it something different. We call it the cinema. Um, so the distribution rights were sold to Amazon Studios in the end due to COVID-19. And um, I have to say before we jump into this review, there was, um, there was a video released on YouTube um, I think it was probably two years ago. Will Smith was filming Bad Boys Two um, with Martin Lawrence, and he was he saw he heard or whatever that Eddie, Eddie Murphy and um, uh, what was it? Arsenio um, Hall. What, no, Wesley Snipes were on set, mm. and he went round. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this video, and Wesley and Will Smith was filmed walking around the set and he's like shouting out to Eddie Murphy, come out, come out, come out, whatever. And um and like they all sort of met up and he was like and it was like like they were like pretend gonna have a fight kind of thing. And then they all like and then they all had a group shot together. And then Eddie Murphy goes, it's a good thing this isn't smell vision Like and I remember that. <laughs> and I and I, I so these films obviously Bad Boys 2 was made around the same time as coming to America and bad boys two did come out at the start of last year. Um, and then, but coming to America too, they, 
obviously wanted this to hit theaters. No, this was Bad Boys like four, wasn't it? Sorry, Bad, Bad Boys, Boys four. Life. Sorry, sorry, I keep saying Bad Boys. Sorry, I keep saying Bad Boys. <laughs> Bad Boys three, yeah, it was Bad Boys three. Um, Bad Boys for Life, yeah, it came out um, last year, so it was made at the same time as this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so they 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 obviously decided in the end to sell it to Amazon, so they could make some more money from it rather than either sitting on it or whatever it was. I'm assuming Amazon paid a pretty penny for this. So I'm sure. But I'm sure that they've seen some good results from it. So there's a lot of nostalgia around this movie. So my dad was so excited about this movie that he called me and he was like, hey, I don't know how to have an Amazon login. And I said, why do you need an Amazon login? He was like, I want to watch Coming to America. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I'll 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 set you up. Don't worry. so the original Captain the original Coming to America movie came out in 1988. Uh, oh, I was like seven. Um, so um, I've watched it many times though. My oh, wife man. is a huge fan. So many like, times. Like, I don't know. I think we probably watch it at least once a year. The original Coming to America. I quote that movie every single time I pay my rent on the first of the month. I quote Coming to America, the first movie. <laughs> And and you know so you know one of the things I do love about this movie is um and they did it in the original Coming to America was trading places you know yes trading places yes yes I'd forgotten about it actually when I was watching the sequel um but when they did do the little link I was like oh this is what I love is the yes it's kind of like a sequel to Trading Places but Eddie Murphy. Right. He plays he plays different characters anyway, even in the oh, same. Yeah. He he's plays like six characters in in all the movies. Yeah, I mean, and even in like Nutty Professor, he plays about mm-hmm. eighteen different characters. And like so, I yeah, love and, the Nutty Professor remake. Oh my god, I love the original with Jerry uh, Jerry Lewis. He is hilarious as a Cinderella. But oh my god, the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. Oh my god. It's so great. He plays like seven characters in that movie. So good. So I think we should assume that this is some kind of like in the, this is almost like the third sequel probably to Trading Places. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, so so to come talk about this movie, it follows 30 years later um, in Zimbabwe. Zimunda. Uh, Zimunda. I keep struggling <laughs> with it. I literally can't say it. I like been, even when I'm not reading it, I'm like, what, what's that place called again? And uh, maybe because it's not a real place, I'm like, just can't stick in my head. So it begins with um, our prince Akeem, 30 years later, still prince, but being a king is around the corner. And uh, which was cool was that um, James Earl Jones did return to play mm-hmm. King King uh, Jafar Jaffa, and is sort of on his deathbed giving Akeem loads of crap about basically producing three girls and not having a, a son. And um, the setup for this is is quite simple. It, it's annoying to me, though, that this, this happened, but they did it as well as I think they could do it. So Simi uh, has to um, be honest that <laughs> Eddie, uh, Eddie Murphy's character had basically was sexually assaulted um like, i mean he he was drugged up and had sex with someone and couldn't remember having sex with anybody yeah um and, and he said no no that wasn't sex with a woman that was, it was a, a wild a, boar that came in and just kept boar. ramming me yeah. and then suddenly his face goes oh like, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> he had that oh uh, shit moment. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Oh shit. Oh, actually, yeah. That may not have been a bore. Like, so, um, but what I did like about the moment was when they had a flashback, and I did. They did a few times flashback to the original coming to America, and they sort of integrate it. Um, it kind of made me think of Cobra Kai actually, because Cobra Kai keep. Um, shoving in little um, clips from the from the movies, mm-hmm. and um, they kept sort of kept putting clips in. But they did this clip scene where um, Akeem and Simi are out um, in a nightclub and um, yes. meeting different women. They brought a lot yeah. of that original stuff though from the first movie. Those were clip. A lot of that was clips from the. From that was the first clips, movie. but then yeah, what they did, like, but obviously it moved from clip. To yeah, CGI. when they brought in Leslie Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So they they introduced Leslie Jones to Simi in. And they obviously use CGI to get them all to look younger uh, mm-hmm. and then ended up back at their place. And um, Simi ended up in the bedroom, um, obviously having a good time. And then, uh, and then Eddie Murphy's sitting there very like sort of rigid. And then she lights up a, some sort of spliff or something that's obviously got some, something, something else in it. Cause then he starts seeing things. Hallucinating. Yeah. yeah hallucinating. <laughs> things he's seeing a ball. Um, and yeah, that, that leads to him having a son, which he never knew about. And um, then it's, that's sort of the setup that he's not had a son, that he needs to get a son because unfortunately the country that they live in is very antiquated. Yeah. They are very backwards. And that's actually probably my first complaint about this movie is Lisa, his love interest from the first movie, was such a strong character, which is massively sidelined in this sequel. But in the first film, she was so passionate, driven, you know, mm-hmm. pro, pro, you know, she would have, she would never have wanted to be shut down and had her, her rights and all that taken away from her. And she, and, and suddenly 30 years later, what's happened? Who is this woman who's just, you know, sitting around having kids and not, and occasionally she gives any most character a sort of a piece of her mind, but yeah. it's so few and far between. And you would have thought that in the last 30 years, she could have, Maybe maybe King Jafar Jaffa was just too rigid, and maybe Lisa couldn't couldn't get past him. But I mean, you know, when we catch up with him, he's like on his on death's door. But so that that kind of frustrates me that that he wants a son so he can have a proper male heir to the throne because yeah. the only way he's going to have bullshit f- really. Yeah. The whole well, yeah. the whole that whole premise really pissed me off. So I was so, not invested from the very beginning. Oh yeah, so the only way he's going to get someone on the throne is for one of his daughters to marry someone from another kingdom, which I know stuff like that happened used to happen a long time ago, but like that, I was like, what? Like, you know, so that, so this is what we've got, is that he has to go back to America because he's now suddenly got a son because he wants his son to sit on the throne. I was like, man, I was like, firstly, oh, I don't know, just thinking as a man who's got two daughters myself, like if I just found out the a son, they, he wouldn't suddenly become preference over the two women that I've just brought up. Like, I mean, yeah. if I suddenly, if someone did say to me, I've got a son, for instance, like, of course I'd want to know who they were, but it doesn't mean that suddenly my daughters would drop in priority to me. Like, yeah. you know. Like, yeah, um, that, they did that with a quickness. It was very much like, oh, I have a son. Oh, wait, I had a son before I had any of these other, okay, well, fine. Like if he's firstborn, then he's the heir and plain yeah, and simple. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that 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 I found frustrating, and I found mm-hmm. that Lisa just, just I don't know, yes, being marginally annoyed, but then just sort of going along with it, but sort of looking angry faced, you know, was very frustrating to me. But anyway, before they head off to America, I think this is actually one of the best scenes in the whole movie. So 
he's talking about his funeral, he's on his deathbed, <laughs> and then they have this actually like almost like live funeral where he kind of dies at his own funeral. Uh, so he wants like a funeral party, yeah. which I thought was he, No, because his, his like, thing was like, I want to know what people would say at my funeral. Let's just have it now. Yeah, yeah. And then he <laughs> dies at it. Like, yeah. So, and so when they're doing this sort of voiceover, I was thinking to myself, that's Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> like, and then suddenly it's Morgan Freeman. I was like, <laughs> well, I was like, that's a really cool cameo. Like, and then and then on Vogue come out, and I was like, on Vogue coming out. I was like, <laughs> what? Like, and then Salt and Pepper come out. I was like, yeah. this is bloody brilliant. Like, I was oh, like, this is good. that was a really good scene. Like yeah. that. The music that was... in this film was really fantastic. Honestly. Oh, I, after the film finished, I looked up. I was like, there's got to be a soundtrack for this. And there mm-hmm. is a soundtrack. Like, I was like, I'm definitely going to see myself listening to the soundtrack for this. Yeah. Like, I I would say the soundtrack was probably the best thing about this whole movie. For um, sure. The cameos obviously were really good. Like, Cam- the cameos 100% were my favorite thing about this film. Whether so, it was them bringing bad characters from the first film or just like like Gladys Knight popping oh, up yeah, and yeah. Salt Pepper and In Vogue and it's just kind of like, who? Dikembe Mutombo? I was like, <laughs> what is happening? As the movie went on, I was like, oh, so many good people just yeah. rocking up. Like, yeah, yeah it's just, oh, honestly, yeah, that, but that whole live funeral thing was... Probably my favorite part about the movie. Just seeing Salt and Pepper rock up, I was like, oh, this is like yeah. the 80s. Fun fact Salt and Pepper, Cool Hot Vicious, and Very Necessary were the first two CDs I ever bought. First oh, two, I love Salt and Pepper. I still love Salt and Pepper now. I can't, I'm trying to think. Oh, it's embarrassing to say, but one of the first albums I ever bought was it was a tape actually, a uh, cassette tape. I bought the, the one of the one of the Meatloaf albums. Um, <laughs> like, uh, and did you ever hear of a band called Green Jello or Jelly? Like, no. Uh, they're an American band, and um, they made like a punk rock heavy metal version of um, a song called the Three Three Little Pigs. Never yeah, heard no, of that. No, no, no. That, that was like, <laughs> and uh, that was like one of the first albums. Those two were the, like the first albums I ever got. That album was so bad, honestly. I, <laughs> I bought I bought it off the back of that song, that Three Little Pigs, which everybody like loved, and then the whole album was just horrendous. But anyway, go, I digress. So they head off to America, where begins essentially his reunion tour and, uh-huh. um, yeah that's a good so, way to describe it <laughs> uh, and he rocks up at the barbershop full of yes which love all those guys which are basically him in in disguise. him in arsenio and, hall he plays yeah. two characters arsenio hall plays one character and then there is an actual actor playing a fourth character it, <laughs> and uh it's it's very simple he just rocks up with simi says look i found out i've got some they're giving him a bit of bit of banter etc etc and oh yeah we, He's got some weird sort of magic doctor. drawing from like a, a, a sketch artist thing, from a, yeah. a magician or a shaman yeah, or something. Sh- yeah, some shaman that lives in the kingdom who I kept like his, I don't know, I thought it's meant to be like their kingdom's version of like Rafiki or something. Yeah, like I think like, he was played by Arsenio Hall. <laughs> and so they get suddenly got this extremely detailed drawing and he hands it out at the barbershop and, and just by chance you know yes, in queens of course where there's probably like i don't know a hundred thousand people probably live in queens and they're like yeah we know that guy and in fact actually if you hurry up at three o'clock he's going to be outside manson square garden selling tickets mm-hmm. like, he's, he's like okay cool 
And like, so he goes down there. And let's be honest, when you get down there, there's going to be quite a few people there. He yeah. sees him straight away and uh, walks up to him. And he's like, yeah, I'm your dad. And uh, he'll say, <laughs> yeah, I'm the, uh, the king of um, um, uh, Zimbabwe. And, um, uh, he, and he's like, oh, okay, all right. And then come back, like, meet my, come meet my mum, et cetera. And, um, and then this scene, I thought, was terrible. Like, and... Um, <laughs> I think Leslie Jones is great. I loved her in Ghostbusters. I know people say Ghostbusters, um, the the woman version of Ghostbusters. But I, I love, love it. Leslie Jones is one of the best follows I've ever done on Twitter. She is so ridiculous and wild. It's hilarious to watch her do commentary of like the news. I love Leslie Jones. She's she's so funny to me. Um. I think I've only seen her in Ghostbusters, but I loved her in Ghostbusters. I thought yeah, Ghostbusters. She's great. And uh, speaking of the news, by the way, Trevor Noah. Who yes, I know. Oh my God. Too, Trevor Noah's character like, was so funny in, in coming to America. I didn't realize he was in it. I was like, yeah. I didn't realize it was him until about the third time he was on screen. I was like, oh. hold on a minute. That's Trevor Noah. I was yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and so he's probably like the most famous like African, you know, in America. Like, so um, I love Trevor Noah. Like, yeah, Trevor I Noah is it. great. So, um, and then he rocks up, goes to back to the flat where actually this was quite, I did like the funny scene about it. So it's his birthday. Um, and they, and they've only got 10 candles and then and she's like, you didn't get 30. And they're like, oh no, we didn't have change of a dollar or whatever it was. And she's like, we'll cut them in half then. And one of the comments was, well, we don't have 20 then. Like, <laughs> like, that was a good one. Like, like, um, but just before this happens, actually. So, um, so Jermaine Fowler, his character is Lavelle Johnson, and we see have a bit of a setup with him before Eddie Murphy's character meets him. So he starts off at some sort of um, I don't know, it's like a job center, but yeah, he's he's interviewing for a job. Yeah, but it's but it's like there's a whole room full of people. However, I'm assuming it's at this trading place, um, uh, like where yeah, like for something for a stock market. Uh, yeah, stock with market, the, yeah. you know. <laughs> So, so he walks in and then gets interviewed by this white guy who I don't recognize. But oh um, yeah, he's on he's on Saturday Night Live. Colin, um, Colin Jost. Oh okay, I didn't know him. But, yeah, um, so he does the, so, the news on Saturday Night Live. Um, so he, he comes in and then he then makes a, men- a mention to his his parents or grandparents or something. His like uncles. That. Yeah, his uncles um, from Trading Places, and you see a picture of them on the, the wall. The Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, oh, it's like, here we go. Like, there's yes, the cool, it the was cool great. That was place. great. I did like that bit. And then the interview is extremely inappropriate. Like, yeah, it's completely I mean, racist. For oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, for sure. He's, he's like, oh, so I see you didn't uh, graduate. No, why not? Well, I was three your, points Was your away. mom a crackhead? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I was, like, when he said that, I was like, are you for real? Like, that's the that's the first question you ask. Like, you didn't graduate because your mom's a crackhead? What the hell? Oh, no, no, no. And then he starts trying to compare his life to his. Like, yeah. All right. Uh, like, oh, so you didn't have a girl without dad. Yeah. Like, my life was like that too. And I was at boarding school. And I was like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, yeah. I, was like, I, was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. I can completely get the comparisons. Yeah. While you were off... Well, your daddy was paying five grand a term for you to be educated. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely and uh, yeah, and then I love it. I love the interview where he ends it with basically telling them where to go. So anyway, yeah. so we get. But that was a nice little introdu- introduction to the Dukes all over again. Yeah, the Dukes are also a nice way to start the bell as actually. Yeah. A, I think to show actually he's a strong character before Akeem shows. Yeah, up because money. he actually gave like a really 
uh, a really nice counter speech to all of that racism that was being thrown at him. <laughs> yeah, he didn't he didn't get like upset or angry in like the typical fashion. He he responded very like evenly and uh, it was very biting and witty his response to it. So yeah, and so so anyway, it's come back to the whole apartment bit where so Akeem shows up with Lavelle and uh, Lizzie Jones looks at him and goes, "Oh, my African." Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, and rather than saying like outright, which I expected that he was the dad, like it was a bit like, oh, he could be the dad. Like mm-hmm. I was like, and she's what? like, you know, I like, went through my whole phase. I was, I was like, hoeing at the time. <laughs> and she's like, I was home with everyone. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, okay. I was like, I mean, obviously, we're, it's a comedy, so we're we're, we're going with that. Um, and then there's like no mention or nothing of a DNA test. Yeah, I kept waiting for that too. I was like, uh, I would not have flown all the way to America to be like, hey, you're my son. I'd have been like, yo, let me knock you upside the head, knock you out, take your blood and get that tested. And then hopefully when you wake up, we can figure well, out whether or not I mean, we're if, related. If a real king finds out he's got an heir in Manhattan, I imagine most of the time they probably just you know kidnap somebody yeah 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 like make them disappear but like anyway so what i would imagine probably what would happen is he would have sent somebody over probably covertly got some dna like you know like off of a glass or something or other found out for definite uh however this is a comedy so we just have to roll with it but i was (laughs) like you expecting the the sort of the fallout towards the end of the movie like someone's go oh we did dna test i literally waited the entire movie for them to be like oh by the way this is not actually your son yeah i was thinking that would happen but that, that didn't happen didn't happen so spoiler king <laughs> comes back to his country with um leslie jones who is just a nightmare hilarious. like a nightmare but hilarious but she just says what she thinks and yeah um even lisa now who's become acclimatized to becoming a royal is very now prim and proper and, but uh, lisa gets excited that she's got a homegirl from queens to like yeah. talk to finally yeah. yeah that happens more towards the end of the film like the yeah. drunk moments yeah and actually when we come back to lisa it did frustrate me that she didn't have a single from my recollection a single scene with her children on her own um, no she didn't no and that, that annoyed me because i was and it, it was mainly she was definitely much lower on the on the list of of people that got mark this movie had nothing to do with women okay <laughs> well yeah it was a lot yeah they're, they're, well it, i think when you break it down what the original coming to america was about was obviously a young man wanting to stand on his own and yeah. and then meet his love interest but like a, a, a young man bait. wanting to stand on his own but he genuinely fell in love this yeah. movie has none of those elements it's kind of like he he has the power and instead of making the changes that he said that he was going to make, he just keeps everything as a status quo. Yeah, and he and he and he keeps mentioning that as well throughout the movie. Eddie Murphy, well, you know, we've got a 150 years, 200 year tradition, whatever, blah blah blah. So, oh, man, well, you know, like, and so he brings a, he brings back uh, Lavelle and integrates them into his family, um, which is, again is done comically, introducing this is my bastard son, this is my bastard son, this is my bastard son. And they're like, yeah, okay, we get it, dad. You know, like, and, um, and it's all done quite comically. And so we haven't mentioned Wesley Snipes' character, General Izzy. So he was shown at the beginning after um, uh, James Earl's character died. So he wanted to try and get Wesley Snipes' eldest daughter um yeah to marry his son uh, yeah to marry his son so she's called mika um who's played by kiki lane 
so we reviewed the old guard quite a long time ago which mm-hmm. isn't that um so she, but she was wasted in this film because she could have been so much more of a badass she was, she she was, was. so good she was so good in this film yeah but she she's has no interest in his flip-flop of a son and mm-hmm. uh, i was like nope i'm not marrying him so when the son when he comes back and he's now got a son Wesley Snipes comes back and was like, well, actually, I've got this really hot daughter. And, like, the Bell's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, tripping over himself, like, you know, I'll marry her. And uh, and he's and then so Eddie Murphy goes, you know, uh, straight away he was going to jump on the whole arranged marriage thing, but then he looks at Lisa and he's like, uh, well, actually, um, I'm kind of against the whole marriage thing, you know, like, because of my own background. But he's like, well, but if Lavelle wants to do it, and Lavelle's like, just seeing a hot woman going, yeah he's yeah, like yeah, yeah i'm yeah. good yeah yeah i'll marry her i literally yeah. don't, haven't had a conversation with her but i'll do it yeah. um, and then that begins kind of the bell's journey so i think up to this point it had been kind of eddie murphy's movie mm-hmm. um but then it kind of then became more about the second generation so the bell becoming uh, attracted to um his bar- his, like, his barber the royal, the royal the royal yeah. barber uh so <laughs> which I actually didn't really see where that was going initially. I thought she was just like a mentor type role for him because mm-hmm. he's she's kind of encouraging him to become like his own prince, you know, the Prince of Queens and, yeah. and things like that. So then he also starts to build what I think is kind of a nice relationship with his daughter, sorry, his daughter, his sister, Mika. Um, I, know, I know like you could think Mika could be angry, but actually I think it shows actually how strong character she is. That actually she wants to build a bond with this brother rather than just shut him out and yeah. you know, shows shows her own growth so she helps him because they have all this um tradition so before mm. he can become a prince he has to go through like these you know, I don't know including uh, taking a lion's whiskers <laughs> so he has to go through like these i don't know 19 trials of fire and and one of them includes being tricked to Get and think that your manhood is going to get cut off, but that doesn't actually happen. <laughs> but they cut a potato instead. Um, but he genuinely puts it. But well, you don't see it, but he is prepared to go through with whatever he has to. <laughs> like, yeah. So, uh, which which fair play though he didn't back out. Um, but then as he's going through this, he's realizing that actually he doesn't want to marry um, Genoese's daughter. He wants to marry his barber. And then this is where it becomes almost very much like a flip-flop of the first film. He runs off to Queens with his family to get married. Mm-hmm. And Akeem runs back to Queens to stop them, realizes they're in love. And it kind of ends with a nice little union of them all. Him realize, and then you know, Keem realising that actually he needs to be his own king uh, and he makes his daughter Mika the heir to his his kingdom when he dies. Finally, when he could have done that at the beginning of the DM film. Oh, yeah, save, save everyone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, he, they could have done this as a 10-minute short and we would have been Yeah, good. exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, but whilst he was running off, though, this is a very... It made me start thinking of, like, Black Panther and Wakanda and stuff because I... We don't really get shown a lot of where they live. It's kind mm-hmm. of like the palace, and we don't really know much about this nation and where its standing is in, in right. the whole world. In the and, rest of Africa, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in Africa, but in the world as well, because he says about how the Vel's going to be uh, the American, the, yeah, um, the American ambassador, uh, uh, ambassador, and um, so so how big and how wealthy is this country? But right. when so anyway, when he's off. Um, General Izzy tries to uh, sort of attack the palace, which also I find crazy. Because how the far, how how on earth did General Izzy get 
that far into the palace with three or four armed guards mm-hmm. and, and Mika's just strolling through on her own and then suddenly she's attacked by General Izzy and a couple of his guys. What I love though is how she really stood her own. Uh, yeah. stood her own. And then Simi did come in with the other two daughters and they kind of all kicked their ass but Mika was, was flipping everywhere. And I was yeah, like, which was good to see because Kiki Lane was so good in Old Guard holding her own against Charlize Theron. Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed that part, actually. I thought that was really cool. I was like, you know what? I thought I'd watch definitely much more stuff with Kiki Lane. I was yeah. definitely pro that. Um, so, yeah. So, just for me, things... I, I love the soundtrack of the movie. I would definitely put the soundtrack on as I'm driving around town. I would put that on. I loved... I did, Although I wasn't really pro how he got a son, I loved the CGI moments when they went back and kind of shoehorned that in. I thought they did that well, actually by showing a clip of the movie and then adding, and then actually having a CGI part associated with the clip to see mm-hmm. them still in that nightclub. I thought that was quite a cool like, little moment. Um, you know, I thought it was a sort of had comedy in moments. I thought it was a good nostalgic movie. Things I didn't really like really was at least the main thing for me is that Lisa got really sidelined mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't really like that. And even her dad, I think he only had two se- two scenes, maybe, in the whole film. Yeah, which which sucks, because John Amos is so good. He's so good. Um, and he was totally underutilized in this film. Yeah, he, he, his McDowell's brand, I thought it was great. They brought that joke back. Yeah. Right? And I say, yeah, uh, and to see Louis Anderson come back, like, it was, it was, all, it was all kind of funny. Uh, I think one of my favorite moments was uh, when when Hakeem, er, Hakeem couldn't quite wrap his head around what was happening and he went back to McDowell's and was mopping. Oh, yeah. And like the patrons in the restaurant were all kneeling. And <laughs> when John Amos comes by, he's like, what the hell's going on? And Louis Anderson is like, man, he's been back there for hours and we can't move until he leaves. <laughs> and I just thought that was so funny. It was like, dude, you guys can leave. Like, you don't have to stay there. But they were all kneeling because the king was there mopping. Yeah, yeah. But he said but he like, it had given him clarity when he was younger, so he went back to his like basic roots to try to I, figure out what the hell to do. I think I would have loved. I, I I think I would have loved a much more simpler premise. Yeah. Um. To this movie, like you know, they could have done something differently somehow. I don't know. Maybe he could have just already had a son already, and maybe that son wanted to go live his own thing. You know, like and, yeah. Um. I don't know. I. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't really know, but I would I I think probably the part of it that angers me the most is at least it was just so underutilized for the fact that she was so central to the plot of the first movie, mm-hmm. and then just to have her just dropped to yeah. a drinking body a, a drinking buddy with Leslie Jones's character yeah. um, that I just I, I mean I'm sure she got paid nicely for the role. Um, but she she has aged so well. She still oh, looks. Yeah just like lisa from the first one everybody yeah. else you can tell that they've gotten older but she looks almost exactly the same it's crazy um i i did like and my mom actually brought this up to me she was like you know usually they make leslie jones kind of this frumpy sort of character and she was like i love that in this movie leslie jones got to be dolled up and gorgeous and dressed to the nines in just about every scene that she was in mm-hmm. yeah so that was nice to see instead of them kind of neglecting her so, so we'll, we'll bring this to a close and I would say I would be happy for this story to be done now. Yeah, yeah, we're done. We're do, done. <laughs> I would hope they don't do further sequels. Um, if they do, I would like to see them go back to their roots a little bit. But yeah. I'm okay. Fav- what was your favorite cameo in the film? 
Uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh no, no, Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper. Okay, hundred percent. Yeah. My my favorite was uh, Peaches and Sugar Cube coming back. They were the girls in the club. Oh, my name yeah. is Peaches, and I'm the best. All the oh, DJs the want yeah, to yeah. touch my breasts. Oh my god, I loved them in the club in the first movie, and so for them to come back at the very with Randy Watson coming back <laughs> at the very end of that sequence at the end. Oh man, that was so good to me. Oh the um oh I forget the song the. Oh, the Queen to Be? No, no, the uh, the band. What are they called? Um, sexual chocolate. Yeah, 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 sexual chocolate. And it's like, yeah, we got yeah. sexual chocolate. And Ra- like, but, Randy Watson and sexual chocolate. And um, uh, and the the Vell's um wife, she kept guessing all these like really famous, yeah, all people, famous people. And then and then it's like sexual chocolate. And I was right. like, that was a good moment actually. Yeah, um, that was hilarious because like they <laughs> they were so good. And of course, I love all the barbershop guys like. Uh, Eddie Murphy playing that old Jewish guy. Um, love that. I just, I think my favorite part of the movie itself was just the nostalgia of the first film. Mm. Not necessarily any of the new elements, but uh, yeah. So Randy Watson coming back was great. Uh, I was, you know, I kept waiting for there to be like a Soul Glow uh, cameo or commercial or for Eric LaSalle to come back and like reprise his old role as like Lisa's old flame. Um yeah so. yeah that's something we said like it would have been good if we'd have had more of lisa's characters mm-hmm. from the first film like her ex-boyfriend wasn't there her and sister, where was her sister? sister yeah her sister wasn't there uh i know that her mum died in real life but yeah so did dad, uh, akeem's mom yeah uh dad wasn't real uh, dad wasn't really in it um you know like i say two scenes but I mean, I know you can criticize every yeah. film. I kept but... waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to come back too. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, um, but do you know what? Like, as a sequel goes, I sat down for almost just under two hours. I didn't. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it, but I, I you know, there was parts where I laughed, and it was a good nostalgia flick. But I, I can't. It's not a classic. Like the original. Yeah, I can't true. see myself watching this again. However. Yeah. Whenever I get the chance to watch the original Coming to America, I do. You know, it's it's one of those things like, yeah, this movie was okay, but it's a one and done kind of thing. Whereas the original film, it's like I will stop whatever I'm doing to watch the original whenever I can. Yeah. It made me want to watch Trading Places again. But I love Trading um, Places. But anyway, so we rated this three out of five, and and that's it. Yeah, so. very middle of the road. So. Kong Skull Island continuing with our theme for March Monster Movie Month. What's at that crash site that you want so badly? Weapons! Enough to kill it! Kong didn't kill Chapman. But he did kill these men. My men. You can't kill Kong, Colonel. Kong is God on this island. He's the only thing keeping them lizard things in the ground. He's right, Colonel. We can't kill Kong. We have watched the second film in the legendary slash WB uh, MonsterVerse with the first film was Godzilla from 2014. This film is Kong Skull Island from 2017. Uh, Director is Jordan Vogt Roberts, uh, written by Dan Gilroy and Max Bornstein. It stars Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, John C. Riley, John Goodman, Corey Hawkins, and a ton of other people that you recognize. Um, before we get to the movie, I definitely remember the first time I saw this movie, I was like, I cannot believe they put Toby Kebbell in this movie and he had this bit role that didn't do anything. And then I found out that Toby Kebbell did all of the mocap for Kong. And I was like, uh, okay. So basically, Toby Kebbell plays two roles in this film. He plays uh, uh, a pilot 
who is Chapman, um, but he also does all of the motion capture for Kong. So basically this film, um, you know, the 2014 film was the first part of the series. This one goes back way before that. This takes place, it begins at the sort of end of World War II. We have a, an American pilot. Huh? Yeah, 1944. Uh, we have an American pilot and a Japanese pilot that both crash land onto Skull Island. And as they are chasing each other, trying to kill each other, one of the giant gorillas kind of interrupts their fight and both of them are kind of just like oh shit <laughs> where are we um so then we fast forward to the 1970s where we are in the middle of the vietnam war it's sort of just ended and as the war is ending soldiers are being pulled out of vietnam however samuel L. jackson who is colonel packard and his unit have been requested to sort of do this um Basically, they're chauffeurs. So they've been requested to do like a transportation drop for a science team that needs to get to this island. Samuel L. Jackson's team, they are sort of skilled pilots. So they are uh, called into action because they need to fly the science team through a very, very bizarre hurricane um, that is stationary. It does not move. Uh, so they have a window. They, they are bringing all these people they fly through the hurricane unscathed they get to the island and after they pass through the hurricane to get to the island all hell breaks loose so uh if you remember our last week's episode when we were talking about godzilla our biggest complaint with the film is that we have to wait an entire hour before we actually see Godzilla in the movie. In Kong Skull Island, they kind of fix all of the issues that we had with the first film in this franchise because Kong Skull Island from the very beginning is a monster movie. And there is never any question about that. They get to the island. And as soon as they get to the island, before half the helicopters can land, all of them are attacked by Kong. So Kong comes in at the very beginning. He's attacking helicopters. All of the helicopters get pulled out of the sky. And now we're in a situation where the science team is sort of revealed that there are people within the science team and those, uh, those extra people are kind of Monarch, the organization that we became familiar with in the first film. Uh, so like a clandestine organization that is researching monsters or titans that exist on Earth. And... Monarch is embedded in the science team. Monarch kind of is dropping seismic charges. They say that they're dropping the charges because they're trying to map the island. However, they are honestly dropping the charges because they're trying to lure Kong out and it, it, it works, it's successful. So Kong comes out, takes all the other helicopters out of the sky. Um, we have quite a few survivors. The whole scene is so good. Oh my oh. God, that, that's a, it's like a 15 minute sequence of helicopter carnage and monster fighting and it's it's awesome it's awesome this this whole film is um kind of like the the type of film where you really really want to root for the monster like you, you it's kind of like you know i'm not really a fan of these humans so you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna pull for the monster in this one um but and and it, it sort of creates the dynamic because Kong was the one that attacked the helicopters. Now it has given Colonel Packard, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson again, um, a, a purpose. Like he came to the island as an escort originally, just to kind of escort the science team to do what they needed to do. But 
um, now that Kong has brought down all of his helicopters and killed half of his uh, platoon, he has taken it upon himself that he is going to kill Kong. So the film immediately creates a new villain. So it starts out with, oh no, this this Kong is bad because he's killing the, the soldiers. However, by the end of the film, Samuel L. Jackson is the biggest villain in the film versus Kong being the biggest villain in the film. Um, and I thought that the way that they kind of transitioned that from the monster being the bad guy to the human being the bad guy was really, really done, done really, really well. Um, so we kind of have this dynamic of Monarch wants to research the Titans, whereas the soldiers are thrown into this not knowing about Monarch at all and coming out of it thinking Samuel L. Jackson's thought process in this film seems to be nobody else should know that things like this exist. Um, so it, it creates this really cool dynamic because eventually these teams are split across the island and, and sort of one set of helicopter crash survivors and another set of helicopter crash survivors eventually meet back up together. But this, the survivors that include Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson and Corey Hawkins, they end up finding John C. Riley, who was one of the fighter pilots from World War II who crashed on this island. And so he's been on this island for 28 years, 28 years he's been here. Um, and so his interactions are actually kind of funny because at, I've talked about this before, but like one of my favorite tropes in movies <laughs> are people out of place in a certain time. And John C. Riley is definitely like out of place. Like he has been able to keep up with the time. So he knows that it is now the seventies. He knows that he has been on this Island for 28 years. Um, but just, just the things that he says, like you can tell that he's lost quite a few marbles um, he, he, at one point, someone is not listening to what he's saying. And he's like, no, we can't go that way because things worse than Kong live in that direction. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. But like, this is the fastest way to get to our pickup point. And he's like, well, I mean, you know, what do I know? I've only been on this Island for 28 years. Exactly. He's like, like well, going through you guys. This, this sort of monsters graveyards yeah yeah thing, like you know <laughs> which goes very badly yeah, so. because they didn't listen to john c Riley, right, and right. he had been there for 28 years so he would know um so this film does an excellent job of creating this sort of dynamic but what i think what this film does so much better than the first film in the franchise is that it flips the monster tail on its head and throughout the course of the film we go from thinking of Kong as the bad guy who brought down all these helicopters to the, the native who was protecting his island from invaders and changing that whole narrative around Kong as the bad guy to actually Samuel L. Jackson as the bad guy in this one. Um, it was done so well and it was so subtle and it was, it was such a smooth arc that there was never a point where you were just kind of like, it doesn't make sense that they have done this. Um, so it was, it was really a joy to watch this film, especially on the heels of the first Godzilla from 2014. This film came out, um, again, 2017. So three years after the first one, but it does so well to establish this monster verse, so to speak. Uh, but also like it, it pulls in elements that we have heard before they bring up the Mutos, um, which was something that they talked about in the first film, which was the, uh, 
massive unidentified terrestrial organisms. Mm. Um, it brings up, you know, we're, we're in, in the shit with Monarch. So it brings up that organization. Um, it, there's all kinds of references in this film to the original, but there's also so much foreshadowing in this film to the next one, that it, which is the, the Godzilla King of Monsters, which came out in 2019. Um, but, but this film, it's, it's done so well. You get, to, um, you get to meet, you know, these characters. Tom Hiddleston plays this former SAS uh, officer. Brie Larson plays uh, a photojournalist who is actually really good at what she does. She's actually up for a time cover for some of her photography. And her manager is kind of like, I have no idea why you would want to take on this mission when you're up for a time cover. And she's like, I'm in it because every single person has given me the exact same story word for word. So I know that they're all lying. There's something more serious going on on this island. Um, so it's just kind of like a lot of, a lot of people that really kind of want to get to the bottom of this, but to watch people sort of shift their focus from this is a scientific mission to holy crap, monsters exist to holy crap, humans are monsters and we really need to save these animals from the humans. That that whole transition in this film is done really well and nothing kind of feels out of place to me. Um, so I, I, I just, I love this movie. I, I enjoyed it when it first came out and rewatching it again, it, it holds up well. Like it's, it's still a good film and it's executed well. It's got great visuals. The CGI is amazing. Um, the the characters are great, and you're you you find yourself rooting for both some of the humans and for Kong. Um, so it's it's a it creates a really interesting dynamic, I think. I, yeah, I, I think yeah, CGI actually was fantastic. I remember yeah. when there's a scene right at the very end where uh, Kong is having a fight with the with the sort of the big yes skull, the big Kahuna uh-huh. yeah, the big skull crawler as um, as he. As the nickname came out of the film, but like when he like actually pulls his guts out from inside it, I was like, that was so graphic. And I actually could think to myself, somebody actually had to design that. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. This, CGI was this was a monster so, movie, and that's say, what this, made it so good. This is, I, I think, other than twenty minutes of it, it was a, movie, a monster movie. So we had Kong very much introduced in the first two, two, three minutes. Mm. Then we went off to the seventies where we spent 20 minutes setting up all our characters to go to the island which is cool which is fine yeah. you know you, you need this is what i said before you need a setup right right i just sell the last week's one godzilla an, an hour, hour is too long no well, it was an hour and a half it was an hour and a half before we Way got to the long. fight yeah it, it was a two-hour movie it was an hour and a half before we got to any action like mm-hmm. it was that's I mean, too at that long. point at that point it was like oh, like i i think we've got to had they have had that last half an hour but maybe maybe half an hour earlier or an hour earlier had some mm-hmm. sort of separate thing with Godzilla probably could have not been so damaging to, to us in the fact that it was a monster movie. Right. I, I do not, I enjoyed the last Godzilla movie when it first came out. Like I quite liked the take. I remember watching it and actually not, not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But on the remake, I was like thinking, oh, I don't like this so much because it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm I'm all for character development. I am. Like I'm, I'm. In fact, this is where I actually strongly feel that they've actually 
got um, less um, character development in this movie. Yeah, they do, definitely. Um, and I was reading about it, and actually in the script, um, there was meant to be more character development for uh, Brie Larson and um, Tom Hiddleston's character in this movie, but it got cut out, which is actually my biggest complaint for these two is that they don't get much character development. Mm-hmm. However, as the, char- the characters and the actors, they did well in the movie, and I enjoyed the moments between them, even subtle moments like where Tom Hiddleston's character is getting one of the soldiers to lower his gun. Yeah. And you just see Brie, Brie's face initially shocked, like, sort of not shocked, but like looking obviously tense because it's obviously an intense moment. And the moment the sort of the big monster turns away, um, she gives just them a smile. And mm-hmm. it's just a, just something simple. And I, I quite liked it because I thought she's shifting that she was obviously scared, but now right. she's that, that, right. that smile said to me that she recognised that Tom Hiddleston's character actually knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and he's meant to be a tracker, like a really good tracker. Mm-hmm. And there, there was meant to be apparently more in his background about why he wanted to go. Um, but they they didn't they didn't do anything with that in the end. So but in terms of the monster movie, yes, we've got Kong right at the very yes. beginning, or maybe one of his parents or something like that. And then and then we got Kong again at the half an hour mark. Yeah. And then Kong kind of came into it here and there because again we saw another soldier seeing him uh, clean his wounds mm-hmm. uh, and then and then we had them the sort of the last 20 minutes with the big battle however throughout the movie we had other monsters like that horrible big spider with the long yes. legs or was it yeah, it was a spider wasn't it yeah uh, and then we had the skull crawlers the little ones and, yep. and then we, and there was a few other sort of there was those weird um sort of tarantula type, not tarantula pterodactyl type yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the flying kind of ones uh-huh. yeah so there was a lot a lot of monsters in this yeah we like, had a monster so well. movie yeah yeah and i so i, I really really did like this movie i it had a really strong cast it was it was probably quite cast heavy uh, however you needed a big cast because of the sheer volume that got killed off like, <laughs> yeah exactly which was which is actually and i can you know what actually when i was watching this because Samuel Jackson was sort of the bad guy of this movie, yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, Deep Blue Sea. And have you ever oh, seen yeah, Deep yeah, yeah. Oh, so man, so I love when that Samuel movie. Jackson gets killed off like in like the first five Eight minutes. Eight minutes. And uh, is that where it was? Eight minutes. So he gets Eight killed minutes. off. Yep. Yeah. So he gets killed off. Like, so he's like, like I don't know, like, you know, Samuel Jackson's in this movie. Probably, probably at the time they probably did some heavy advertising. Well, pivoting. he's in this movie, I would say 75% of this movie. Yeah, he's but, in but it for a long watching, time. When I was watching it, I kept thinking to myself, like, he so reminds me of, of his character from Deep Blue Sea. And um, like basically, you know, a dick. Like, and um, so, and at, at some point I kept thinking, he can't make it the whole way through. Like, he yeah. can't. And yeah. he did fairly well until Godzilla, sorry, sorry until Kong decided to, well, put his fists through him yeah um which to be fair enough i mean he was about i mean to he had up. given him hell for the whole movie so yeah, yeah that was warranted and he and he was literally about to flick the switch to blow him up and the trouble with samuel jackson's character was he couldn't accept that the war was over yes. and he's been given this new he journey. basically needed a new enemy and he found yeah. one in kong and he kept making up excuses as to why he didn't want to leave the island. Right. Uh, I need to go back for this soldier. Okay, eventually they go back. That soldier's dead. Right, well, we've yes. still got to carry on. And everyone's like, well, no, we want to go. And he's like, well, no, yeah. I want to kill Kong. And everyone's yeah, like, he was like, Kong. we have to complete the mission. And everybody yeah. else is like, but this was not the mission. Yeah. Um, and then that's when the humans end up having to turn on Samuel Jackson because he's yeah. trying to kill him. And then in the end, Kong kills him. I yeah. did like the clever moment where... Um, like that actor, I can't remember his name, the guy from Broadwalk Empire, um, has basically got 
loads of um, bombs around him and is trying to get the, the horrible monster uh, right at the very end to come and eat him because he's oh, yeah, yeah, burn yeah. himself up. But the monster hesitates because he realises. And I thought, it reminded me of something you said last week about character, uh, sorry, character attributes in monsters. Mm-hmm. And this character, sorry, this monster actually did for a moment there show intelligence, which yes. you kind of don't really think that monsters have intelligence. Right. right. And so he stopped. He could see this is clearly a trap. And right. flip the guy across the across yep. the across the valley and blown up and the monster was, like, was right yeah yeah and um so no, it was a really cool sort of fight scene at the end of the movie um yeah I, I would generally say i really enjoyed this film i enjoyed the strong cast although like i say you know didn't get much in the way of character development however sometimes you've got to think actually what what kind of film are we watching you know right. when you watch fast and furious for instance, I don't care. Like when I watch Fast and Furious, I want to see fast cars and insane chase sequences and yeah. lots of fighting. That's what I want to see when so I watch Fast and the Furious. Thing. When you sit down to watch a monster film, right? I think the character development could have been put just a slight bit more to make you care about them. That's probably all I would say is maybe like a couple extra scenes, like just yeah. so that. I mean, I feel like I cared work. enough. Like yeah. I cared enough that. From the very beginning, they they definitely hinted that there was something off about Samuel L. Jackson's character. Mm. So when he turned full crazy, it was kind of like, well, I'm not totally surprised that he did this because like you were hinting at it from the beginning. Um, but for me, like I watch monster movies because I want to see the monsters fighting. Like yeah. you watch the alien franchise because you want to see the aliens fighting, or you watch Predator because you want to see Predator, you know, yeah, fighting. Yeah this movie delivered on its promise of being a monster movie mm-hmm. uh, no i i i did i loved this movie it was a great film there was a lot in it to be fair yeah. uh, the character development could have pushed it maybe to, to, to the point of being too long yeah um it was a two-hour movie i was happy with it so yeah and there's an they, end they, credit they all, scene yeah i was just about to say so they sort of tie it up nicely before we get to the end credit scene though we get um so is it is um what's his name marlow the the, the um, hank marlow the pilot mm-hmm. um who landed in 1944 and then um they rescue him and take him off the island so when, as the film gets tied up you see a nice little montage which i'm assuming is put together by maybe brie larson or something like that uh her character sorry uh or, or sort of videoing him going home and mm-hmm. him rocking up outside the house and what i thought was She's clearly never moved. <laughs> yeah. She stayed in the same house this time. And then um, and then you see him walking up the drive. And I thought, oh, I hope that she's not married. Like, she's moved on. Yeah. Like, but she clearly hadn't moved on. And so his son opens the door and they have a hug and he shakes uh, his son's hand. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then you see him sitting on the sofa. Uh, eating, eating his hot, hot dog, dog that he uh, talks about. Yep. Beer. Yeah, so he said that right at his very first moment when, he come, when you see him in the 70s. He said uh, how he misses hot dog and beer. And so he's sitting in his front room having a hot dog and a beer. Yeah, watching baseball. Actually, mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought that was a really nice yeah. sequence to show that he got like a happy ending. Not everybody got a happy ending, but he did. And he's clearly quite happy with that. He's probably got no interest in seeing what else is going on in the world. He's, yeah. he's done it. He's done his time on Skull Island. And um, so then the titles go by and we get our uh, end credit sequence, which I didn't realise. I actually didn't know there was one when I watched this first time around. <laughs> it's just because of you, because of you, Jasmine. I obviously... You said make sure you watch it to the end. And do you know what? I don't think I would have done because I didn't realize there was one. I would have turned yeah. it off. Um, so I, I remembered that's... it from the first time I saw it that there was an end credit scene. Now, when I watched uh, the next film, The God of Monsters, I did not see that end credit scene the first time. So I saw it this time. But yeah, 
That, so, but it was good that like that in credit scene in Kong Skull Island really set up so much stuff that we see from the next film, but it also had a lot of imagery from the first Godzilla. I think the only thing that frustrates me about all of that is they kind of they get Brie Larson and um, Tom Middleton in this room. And then they tell them all about Monarch and all the monsters and show pictures of sort of loose pictures of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. But obviously they're never going to use these characters again because it's in the 70s and got the Godzilla films are in 2014 and, yeah. uh, and 2019. So it's, it's a bit frustrating. That's probably my biggest thing was I wish that this Kong film had been set around maybe the 2014 mark and maybe that maybe... Um, the Marlowe character had crashed from a previous war, like, I don't know, Vietnam or something instead, mm-hmm. and rather than World War II, and I'd rather they'd have kept concurrent. Yeah. So it would have been really cool, like I was saying this to you just before we recorded, it would have been cool if they did something like they're going to do at Jurassic Park, where they're going to bring Sam O'Neill and, and um, Chris Pratt and all that into the latest Jurassic Park. I was actually thinking, like, the Kong versus Godzilla would have been really cool if they could have, you know, the young Tom Hiddleston and the young Brie Larson, if they bring them in, they're going to have to be like 70 or 80. So, yeah. I mean, uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, you could have a cameo, but it would be having to make them look older, which never really looks genuine. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah, know, I loved it. Other than I wish there was a possibility for those characters to show up in the other Godzilla films, for it to be truly a crossover. Like, yeah. you know, I know I know seeing Godzilla is a true sort of crossover movie, movie, um, sort of a bit like Marvel, you know, shared, shared, unif- shared yeah. uh, universe type stuff, but... I would have liked to see some of those characters also cross over. But anyway, I did think this film was a really good film. Like, you know, I enjoyed all of the action sequences. Oh, yeah. I think it was a very good, strong, like, say, monster movie. For sure. The monster but, you know. fights in this film were choreographed so well. So as far as monster movie goes, actually, I would, I'd actually rate this one pretty high. Like, it was, it was definitely enjoyable on the monster movie fight scale. Yeah, so we'll we bring this review to a close and we will be finishing our last um, movie, Godzilla um, movie next week. Um, anyway, so we rated this 4.5 out of 5. We really, really enjoyed it. So, so I, I always bring this up, but like in the inevitable brand new Kong versus Godzilla film, who who are you supporting? It's difficult because Godzilla and Kong are both essentially good guys for humans. But yeah. after watching this, I feel like Kong but then maybe I'll change my mind next week. So we'll... I'm still oh, team Godzilla. <laughs> right. Watching Kong though this week, he is clearly an intelligent character and resourceful and definitely on the side of humans. I'd be interested to see why he would leave the island though, because he clearly doesn't he doesn't. Want to leave they the take they take him. Oh, do they? Uh, yeah. If you if you see the trailers for that. the new Godzilla versus Kong film, they go to Skull Island and they take Godzilla. Uh, I mean, um, Kong. Didn't realize that. Yeah. I didn't, didn't realize that. Um, okay, so this week's recommendations. I when we first started the podcast, I think it's only our second or first episode. I recommended a book called Delirium. Um, I didn't get around to finishing Delirium until last weekend because uh, I'd actually got all the way through it up until like maybe the last three or four chapters. And last weekend, I actually finally got around to finishing it. Um, life, but also I was kind of a bit bored by Delirium because it was so much about the love story, the rather mm-hmm. than the sort of 
post-apocalyptic world that they live in that I was getting frustrated. So anyway, I started Pan, Pan, Pandemonium by Lauren Oliver the other day, and I'm only five chapters in, but the love story's pretty much gone now mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm assuming he's not dead, but it ends with him apparently dead at the end of the first book. And I don't believe for a minute that he's dead. And I, you know, this, these, these books are pretty old anyway, so I'm not really spoiling anything. And it's now much more about the world building, which I'm mm-hmm. actually really enjoying. And each chapter alternates between the future and directly after the first book. So the first chapter is, it sort of says now, and she's, um, in another place where we find out now she's in a future New York City and then it, and then the second chapter says it goes then and then you find, literally pick up her straight after the battle at the end of the first book and so she's now living in like, the wilds and mm-hmm. she's now not part of the sort of totalitarian society and uh, and, it, and it keeps flicking back and forth so at the moment we don't know how she's gone from being this sort of outsider that's met up with these um, sort of rebellion people in, in this sort of the wilds and they've sort of taken her in and then you and then you're flashing to her living under a different identity in New York City and and they've got a, a mission which we don't really know too much about but I'll tell you what I love sort of post-apocalyptic sort of futuristic world um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like Earths and things like that so for them now to be moving away from the love story, I was like, oh, good. Like, yeah, and move into the meat and potatoes. Yeah, I, I know that the love story will come back because I know it's a trilogy. And I, and I, I can see that they're, what they're probably going to do is probably line up a actual love triangle because she's met some guy who is completely anti-love. Blah, blah, blah. That's what this book is about. It's a book that um, love is banned. Um, mm. This whole world is where love is banned. And they all have to have an operation, I think, at the age of 18, like a, like a like brain surgery where they cut love out of the brain. Uh, and then you they refer to <laughs> the people that are anti this refer to those people as like zombies, basically, because they, yeah. li- they live their life without anger, without love, without. Boy, that you know, sounds a lot like equilibrium. Yeah, so it's a bit, there's been loads of takes on this type of thing where you know you have to live without art. So art, so they have it as well in this in this world that art is banned. You know, books are banned, or certain books are banned. They have like a um, in the first book as well. They they mention this when um, the characters are ringing each other on the phone, and suddenly a, like a click will come into the phone, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because then suddenly somebody's then listening to their call. Uh, just to ch- just to make sure they're not saying anything they shouldn't, uh, and um, and also before they're eighteen, before the sort of the brain surgery, they're not allowed to interact with members of the opposite sex on their own. Mm. So in case they decide to have it away, I guess. So, but no, anyway, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying this second book. It's it's actually I'm enjoying the world building and everything. So I don't know if you you know if you're like me, I'm not that bothered about reading a love story. Don't get me wrong, I love I love a good love story. But I just felt the first book was just way too much about the love story. So mm-hmm. to actually get into the world building is something I'm really, really enjoying. So. And my recommendation this week, uh, not an anime or a manga, it is a comic. Um, it's a comic that I've been looking for since February and its original release date was supposed to be February 24th. It got pushed back because of all of the winter storms in Texas. It is called Blade Runner Origins. Now, this goes back to way before any of the other Blade Runner series, and this comic is going to be telling the story of the first ever Blade Runner. 
Um, so it was easy to pick up because I did not have to know anything about the previous series. So the last Blade Runner series was started in 2019. Uh, and then of course there were the film in the eighties. Um, so this book is written by Kay Perkins, Mello Brown and Mike Johnson art by Fernando Donino. Um, t- it reminded me a lot of iRobot, but in a good way, it's kind of like this book opens with a high priority Terrell Corp scientist dying supposedly because they killed themselves um but you know as as we all know from being nerds that's usually not the case the art is really kind of gritty the colors are muted it we're not quite in that cyberpunk world of Blade Runner that people are used to um most of this book takes place in the year 2009 so it's not actually a futuristic book yet, um, but it it has piqued my interest. Um, I want to know who killed this high-ranking Tyrell official or Tyrell official. Uh, I definitely want to know more about this guy. This He's an LAPD officer or detective uh, that has been put on this special case with the Tyrell Corp. Uh, Outsiders are not allowed in the Tyrell facility. So he is the first non-Tyrell employee to go into a Tyrell facility. So it it sets up a lot of interesting things. Um, I've been looking forward to it for a while and I was not disappointed when I actually got it. Um, I like the art. Again, it's very gritty. It, it's not the cyberpunk that you're used to or that you would be expecting. Uh, but it it builds the mystery so well. It does a really good job. It introduces characters that you're kind of like, how important are you going to be? Um, and of course, you know, it's a, it's a first issue and it ends on this massive, massive cliffhanger. Um, so I definitely think that this could be a book that I actually pick up week to week, like I have been doing with Firepower. Um, so yeah, my recommendation for this week is Blade Runner Origins. Next week, we will be reviewing the first episode of Disney Plus's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And we'll be finishing off our MonsterVerse with Godzilla, King of the Monsters from 2019. So please join us and listen in. Yeah. And as a reminder, we did start a second podcast series, our, where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our Late to the Party book club episode for the month of February was March, book one by Andrew Iden and John Lewis. That episode dropped at the end of February and the book club is taking a break this month, but we will be back in April with Akira, volume one by Katsuhiro Otomo. Um, I better pick that up before we know it. March will be over. So. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> it's been fun to read. I started reading it. Um, it goes by pretty, even though it's a huge, huge book, it goes by pretty quickly. And then you can follow us on social media. We are Geeks and Niche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm on Twitter as well as Mark Brassington and myself. <laughs> um, wait, you, the way that you say that, you emphasize that Do only because no one can ever. Yeah, oh yeah, all the time. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's annoying. Like, it, or they're like, you say Brassington, and they're like, I just spell that. I'm like, just sound it out. Like, but I can't. If it, like, I did say that once to somebody, and they got offended, and I was like, okay, so now I, now I sometimes break it up. I go Brassington. Okay. Like, so, I've never then, had a problem uh, spelling your name, but you know, hey, um, you can you can find me anywhere: Instagram, Twitter. I am at Fiore Bianca. 
And you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, tune in. We are everywhere. So be sure to give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening, guys. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.